and scholars. Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, or check out slutsandscholars.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Simone. And I'm Nicoletta. And this week, we are joined by sex entrepreneur and relationship expert, Alice Little, who is currently the most successful legal sex worker in the United States. At only four foot eight inches, she is also the tiniest licensed prostitute at Dennis Hoff's world-famous Moonlight Bunny Ranch near Reno, Nevada. Born in Ireland and raised in New York, she has worked as an EMT, a horse jockey, loves electronic and tabletop entertainment, and adores intellectual stimulation. Alice is also one of the founders of the Hookers for Healthcare movement, petitioning the government for effective healthcare that works for everyone. Welcome, Alice. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to see what we all talk about. Same. Oh my God, I'm so excited too. Um... Wait, okay, let's just like get right into it. You work at the Bunny Ranch. Uh, do, do you identify as like a full-service sex worker? Is that like appropriate terminology? Or what do you like to be called? Yes, you definitely could call me a full-service sex worker. And more specifically than that, I am a full-service legal sex worker. Because mm. sex work is currently only legal in Nevada out of all the 50 states, we try to use different language to separate the fact that where we're located, it's kind of different in the sense that it is legal and there are regulations surrounding it. You specified yourself as a legal sex worker, but um, in some of the stuff that we talked to you about before the interview and some of the work that you're doing seems to be around making sure that stays the case also in Nevada. So what's happening in Nevada that is threatening the Bunny Ranch and legal sex work there? Well, unfortunately, we currently are faced with a ballot initiative that's coming up here soon in November, which will give the folks of Lyon County the choice to vote whether to preserve legalization of sex work or criminalize it, thus disbanding the four legal brothels within that particular county. Right now, this is a county-by-county legislation in the state of Nevada. So each county and the county commissioners are able to decide the legislation and whether to have legal sex work available in their particular county. It's very interesting to note that the pushback from the opposition is only happening in two of the counties where legal sex work currently resides. The pushback first happened in Lyon County, which is where the Bunny Ranch is located, and then again in Nye County, where two other brothels that Dennis Hoff have owned were located. So we have to point out the fact that first, they specifically targeted the counties where Dennis had brothels. Then we have to look at who was threatening the brothels. What we discovered through our research is that there is a direct correlation between the lawyer, Jason Guinasso, that filed all of this paperwork and the incumbent that Dennis was running against at the primary level, James Oscarson. So a lot of us believe that there's a very strong political reason for this to be happening right now, which is really unfortunate because you're essentially taking the legal career and using us as political pawns. That's not okay. That's so fucked. It's also not surprising. Like, I feel like sex workers are, like, the first to be sacrificed in any kind of political game. I think that's obvious also with, like, SESTA-FOSTA stuff as well. Like, we just don't care. Oh, my God. Isn't that the truth? It is so ridiculous. It's 
unfortunately, a direct result of the fact that our society continues to devalue sex workers' lives by stigmatizing them in media, in Hollywood, portraying us as being essentially disposable rather than being service professionals. Yeah. Like, oh my God, we would never, never tolerate just the random dead body of a relationship counselor strewn across the steps of CSI. But we'll do that with a sex worker's body and just turn them into this pivotal plot point of being objectified Mm -hmm. as nothing but the dead body. It's so offensive and exhausting. That's a really good Mm -hmm. way to put it is that it's just exhausting. Are there worries about how some of the, like, federal legislation things happening are going to affect folks in Nevada? Or does it feel a little safer there? I guess not in your particular county, but, you know, the SESTA-FOSTA stuff we talk a lot about in California. But I'm not super familiar if it's um, also affecting people um, in Nevada. So SESTA-FOSTA isn't what's necessarily affecting us so much as there has already been a bill introduced for 2019 at the state level now to disband legal sex work. So unfortunately, the only legal system that we have for sex work in this country is not just under attack from the county level now, but realistically speaking, within the next few months, we're going to be looking at a statewide battle here. That's fucking terrifying. I'm curious about the system that they're trying to dismantle. Like, what does legal sex work look like for you? So presently in the state of Nevada, legal sex work is written as such that the workers will apply at their local sheriff's office for a working card to be employed at one of the brothels. We're independent contractors, so it looks like us being responsible for getting ourselves to the ranch location, ensuring that we're not being trafficked into the brothels. We have to get there of our own volition. We then have to visit the doctor and be clean of all STDs or STIs and receive that paperwork back. Then we have to take that paperwork to the sheriff's office, complete a federal background check and FBI fingerprinting, where our information is then on record for the next 20 years. And then and only then are we allowed to work legally within the brothel system. So it's a very, very complicated, regulated system, which I personally am a huge fan of. Well, it sounds like any other job, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I can't think of any other job where you have to get fucking fingerprinted and your your name is kept in a system for 20 fucking years. Well, mine, mine, I mean, obviously I don't get STI. I don't get STI tested for um, my job as a therapist. But when I work with kids and stuff like that, we do have to get fingerprinted and background investigated. But I do think it's interesting that they keep it on file for 20 years, especially... I think in some ways it keeps you safe, but in other ways it could be dangerous because then your personal information is listed for, you know, people who might want to find out, like, who you are. Potentially, yes. And that's one of the things, too. And this is kind of the silver lining through all of this petition whatnot, is that for the very first time, the sheriff's office has actually gone back and looked at all of the legislation that currently exists. Nevada Brothel Code was written back during the 1970s. That's before we had things like real ideas and the internet. And so we're finding that a lot of the brothel code is unfortunately outdated or no longer applicable to the system as it Mm. currently exists. 
The benefit, though, is that the sheriff and the sheriff's office moving forward want to work with the brothel industry to kind of redo this legislation, modernize it, and make it more beneficial to the people that it's designed to help, the workers. Um, When you had to like go and do all this paperwork and fingerprinting and all that, is there like a special department that handles it? Or was it just some like regular police officer who you felt was like super judgy and weird that they were processing a sex worker application? Thankfully, there's not a lot of judgment in the sense that the local sheriff's station that we go to for our card processing, they're very familiar with us coming in. They're very comfortable with our presence. They Maybe they're even very clients. Much so no. <laughs> uh, potentially, there's nothing <laughs> preventing that from happening legally. Right. So you never know what the possibilities are. <laughs> you figure that within the local county, there's a lot of support and acceptance for who we are and what we do they see the very real benefit that legal sex work has to their local society. Like the brothels and dentists paid for the Dayton dog park. We made sure that the marching band had uniforms. We gave $5,000 to the Boys and Girls Club. Like their list is very, very, very long about the positive influence that we have locally. And when you have such a small county and four very financially successful brothels, you can imagine what that benefit looks like in terms of taxation dollars. Like we account yeah. for 30% of the county's budget. It's really <gasps> incredible when you think about it. That's a, that is incredible. How does the um how does the cost breakdown work? So you're an independent contractor. Do you charge like per hour and then you have to turn over a certain percentage of what you make on a given day to the ranch? How does that work? So as an independent contractor, I do have a contract with the ranch. It says that I have a 50-50 split with the ranch property. So out of whatever money comes in from the bookings is then split with the house. I'm okay with this because you figure out of the house's portion, they're covering the $250,000 license each year, the cost of electricity, the bartenders, the housekeepers, the website staff that make sure I have an online presence. All of those expenses are covered out of the brothel's half. And so I don't really mind the 50-50 split so much because it's a very justifiable business expense. You figure in a normal corporate world that your profit margins usually 20 to 30%. And so to have it as a 50-50 split is pretty fantastic. I've actually, um, I've been to the Bunny Ranch, um, and which I really liked. Um, I don't know if I saw you there or met you there. This was a couple years ago. Um, But when they were giving us a tour, there was a testing facility on site. Do they still have that? Yes, there is. We do have our own private doctor's office and associated waiting area. Because there's so many ladies, it makes more sense for the doctor to come to us than have 30 different ladies drive out and then go to the doctor. Yeah. So you figure you on live Wednesdays, at the ranch. well, we don't live at the ranch. Not everyone anyway. Well, how it works is that half of us are full-time employees of the brothel system. I'm a, a full-time, full-service sex worker, you could say. I live 10 minutes up the road. I've got a miniature pig, two chihuahuas, a cat with one ear. So it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for me to live at the brothel property. There are some ladies that live in other states and rather than working full time, they will fly in and stay at the bunny ranch for the duration of their tour. 
that could be two weeks, that could be three weeks. Some ladies will come for an extended tour of a couple of months. Other ladies we have will work during the summer when they're off from school. So each person's schedule and where they live actually varies. No one has to live at the ranch location though. We're absolutely free to come and go as we please, choose the hours that we wanna work, choose the people that we wanna see, choose the services that we offer, choose the rates that we're comfortable with, etc. We're very, very much so in control. Why do you think people want to say or believe that folks who work in places like the Bunny Ranch are not doing so of their own volition, like they're being forced or coerced? Unfortunately, I believe it's because they have a fear of empowered women. Mm. Mm. They, They don't want us to have the opportunity to be financially successful. Legal sex work is very unique in the sense that it's one of the very, very few industries in which women are almost always more financially successful than the men involved in that industry. I imagine that there's a lot of threat that comes associated with that. When you give women the ability to make six figures and she may not even have a college degree, that's pretty incredible and empowering. Yes. And so when we take a look at the folks that are pushing back against legal sex work, I look to the reasons why they are doing so. The first thing I notice, it's a lot of older gentlemen who are very religiously based. They cite moral reasons for being opposed to legal sex work. When we look at the women who are opposed, they too tend to be of perhaps a slightly older generation that isn't as familiar or comfortable with female empowerment and perhaps feel affronted by that we are so comfortable and in charge of our sexuality and empowered by it. So there's a lot of different factors that come into play here when it comes to why somebody would be opposed to legal sex work. Another thing too that we have to consider is genuine misinformation. They may not understand what makes the Bunny Ranch so different from the quote-unquote underworld of the streets as they've heard about on, you know, the news. They're they're not presented with the opportunity to find out who we are and what makes us different. Mm -hmm. They might not know that we have to arrive there of our own volition. It sounds really awesome to work at a place like the Bunny Ranch. And if some of these laws do go through and shut down, um, where you work, what will that look like for for folks who depend on their livelihood from this this institution? It's going to be really, really, really rough. You figure that we have 134 non-sex worker employees. These are people that certainly aren't as financially successful as uh, those of us who are legal sex workers are. And so my heart really goes out to them because I feel like they are the ones who are going to be most hurt. We pulled up the statistics on our employees, and the majority of them actually live in Lyon County. So when people are pushing against this initiative, it's their neighbors that they're really hurting here. I believe that their intention of this group was to hurt Dennis and distract him from his political campaign. But the reality is, is that Dennis was rich. He didn't need the income from the legal brothel system to fund his campaign. Instead, you put a single mother who's supporting a special needs child with her job as a cashier at the Bunny Ranch, you're putting her livelihood at risk. Mm. You're making it so that she can't invest in the therapeutic services that her child needs in order to be successful. It's 
uh, it just, it bothers me so, so much. As to my own impact on it, like it's completely put my life on hold. Rather than being able to just do my job, I've had to start defending my job mm-hmm. more so than even yeah. doing it. Wow. I mean, I think your job is is fascinating and also so like well done. And I've been perusing your website, so I know quite a bit about some of what you do and what you offer, but you talked about like choosing who you get to work with and choosing what services you're going to offer. I'm really curious, um, A, what the answers are though. Like, what do you offer and how do you pick who you're going to, um, uh, who, who you're going to provide for? Um, and also like kind of how you go about making that decision. Like how, like you're a, one of an amazing provider of like girlfriend experience. Like how did you come about that? Kind of all of that stuff. Oh, Definitely. So for me, like you mentioned, the girlfriend experience is a very commonly requested service and probably one of my favorite experiences too. I've always approached sex work from the standpoint of if you don't enjoy something, why do it? So I only offer the services that I'm genuinely interested in. And through my experience over that first year of being employed within the ranches, I've been there for three years now. I really was able to develop a good sense of what kind of provider I wanted to be. I found myself enjoying the human aspect of people and the intimacy, more so than just the sex itself. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed getting to hear people's stories and learning about their desires and aspirations for the future, hearing about the struggles and triumphs of their own professions, motivating them to go out and be successful in however they choose to be. That's really where I found that I was getting a lot of benefit from my job. And so in all things that I do, I always try to focus on the humanist aspect more so than just the sex aspect of things. Sex is easy. Sex is common. I'm not a sex worker just because I'm good at sex. I'm a sex worker because I love people. That's really what the essence of my job is, is I'm a professional people person and I love to make people happy as well. That's it awesome. It works out really, really well. As I'm hearing it, Another it makes me service- want to work at the Bunny Ranch. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all the therapy Seriously, that I'm doing, I is- can only go so far and talk yeah, therapy. Yeah, I really want to do this. Like, I'm looking at your website and like all the things you offer. I'm like, oh, I would love to. I don't know if I could do it as well as you, obviously. But I'm just like, oh, yes, I love that part of like intimacy and connection. And like, <laughs> I would love to make people feel good in that way. And I don't, I, I just, it makes so much sense to do. It really does. I mean, when you take away all the stigmatizing language around sex work and being a courtesan, what you're essentially left with is somebody who fulfills society's very, very real need for intimacy, compassion, and sex education. And that's essentially what I do. I offer intimacy, provide companionship, and educate through my encounters with clients. I can't tell you the very, very real lack of sex education that this country has and what the impact looks like from the lens of a sex worker. What do you not offer? Well, I am not a porn star. And so I generally speaking do not offer a porn star experience. Uh, Porn star experience is very much so what it sounds like. It essentially puts you in the shoes of being a porn performer and getting to have a very, very exciting, fulfilling, action-packed experience, which you could even then film and take home as a personal memento. I have never been a porn star. I've never been in porn. 
So generally speaking, if somebody is looking for that type of service, I'll suggest them to one of my coworkers, such as Kite Kawasaki, who's a Japanese porn star. We have providers for pretty much every single service that you could think of.、Uh, another great example: I have a coworker named Cherry Lane. She specializes in the splashing fetish, which is using like food to kind of smear or lick off of your partner's body.、Mm-hmm. I tend not to like sticky substances, and so that's not something I generally offer. It's something that if somebody messaged me and said, "Hey, could I pour a whole tub of chocolate syrup over you?" I'd be like, "Hey, no thanks," but I've got just the perfect person for you. So it works out really, really well. I'm just like thinking. Sometimes I see pictures of sl- of splashing like people sitting on cakes, and I get very anxious about a yeast infection. But you know, I'm glad people will do it. <laughs> oh yeah, and Cherry could speak as to all of the safety concerns associated that what foods are appropriate <laughs> to use in what ways. Like she is a genuine expert on it; she knows exactly what's going on. Um, and I'm sure, Nicoletta, you have another question. I just want to round out in terms of services and offerings. Um, so we know what you offer, what you don't offer because of choice. Is there anything that you're not allowed to offer or not allowed to do, either because of Bunny Ranch rules or Nevada legislation? So one thing to keep in mind is that all sex acts do require condoms and barriers. This looks like condoms for all penetrative services, blowjobs, and then the use of dental dams when going down on one of the ladies. As you can imagine, the nature of that law rules out certain requests such as a cream pie or traditional things that people might ask for, such as. Being able to finish on another person just simply would not be able to happen legally. Another service、oh, that we are、really? unable to offer—they can't come on you. Oh yes, no, no, not at all. We legally cannot do that because there is a potential fluid-to-fluid transfer,、yeah. mm-hmm. and it's a safety concern.、Mm-hmm. Would you say that for the most part, people follow that, or they? It's sort of like a. Oh yeah, that's never that's never been problematic. It's posted on our websites. It's posted on the physical property before you even walk into the door. There's a little note that says, you know, hey, condoms are required for all services. And so, generally speaking, we don't get requests for that because it's not something that anybody is able to offer, nor has that ever been offered in the state of Nevada since 1970s.、Hmm. Okay, so what else can you not do? Are not able to provide certain fetishes that would involve scat or blood. Both of those being non-sterile body fluids would be、mm-hmm. problematic. If somebody, however, was interested in, say, a golden shower, that would be legally possible since urine is sterile. Yeah. Also, with <laughs> fetishes, I do require that all of my clients contact me in advance. I'm available only by appointment only. And so that kind of allows me the ability to, while I email back and forth with them, get to understand the nature of their desire, how to make that happen, and correct any inf- misinformation in regards to services I'm not able to offer. And then usually we can work things out and find a great way to make whatever it is they're interested in experiencing happen in a safe, legal way. Other restrictions are that we are limited to the state of Nevada, though we are able to travel anywhere within the state of Nevada that we so choose to together. So, if somebody wanted to take me away for the weekend and go down to Vegas, a hundred percent possible, and something that has happened as well. Oh, my dream! <laughs> How do you decide、It's、who、so、feels safe、fun. for you to travel with? 
I generally judge based off of my gut feelings as well as my interactions with them over email and text message. Like I said earlier, I'm one of the, okay, the only lady that's currently available by appointment only. And so it really gives me an opportunity to get to know somebody. Then we meet in person at the Bunny Ranch. It's not like I would just fly down to Vegas and meet someone. Everything has to happen first at the ranch property, which allows me to get a sense of who they are, if, are we going to mesh and be comfortable with each other, etc. There's also safety things, too, that protect us when we go out on an outdate with the client. For example, they will take a copy of the gentleman's ID, document where we will be staying, document what time we're expected to return. They'll have the gentleman's contact information, my contact information, and I will be expected to check in every so often just to let the ranch know that, hey, all is well. We're having a good time. This is why sex so work needs to be legalized everywhere because this sounds so much safer than people who have to do this, this is, on yeah, the street. I'm like shocked yeah. that we don't do this. It's, it's it, so much safer. It is safer. Like very, very factually, it is safer. If we look at the news, unfortunately, in the illegal and independent sex world, we do have trafficking happening because there are no regulations preventing, say, minors from being forced into the industry, we're not 100% able to guarantee that everybody working illegally and independently is doing so of their own volition. I want to change that. I would love to see sex work, maybe not necessarily legalized in the same sense that Nevada has it, where you're forced to work at a brothel location. I would like to see something more akin long-term to what New Zealand has. They have full legalization for both brothel work as well as independent individual work. Independent workers are expected to visit the doctor. They have to have a license with the state, much in the same way that the brothel workers are required, but it does give them the option to work out of their own location if they so choose. I think it's and very to empowering to provide as many options as possible for sex work, mostly because opportunities like being a legal sex worker need to be available to women. When we have decriminalized sex work, we don't have any true legislation, legalization, protection. There's nothing that's going to prevent a client from, say, ripping a condom off and being forceful with a lady. If we have some form of regulation, we will be able to have the legislation that prevents any sort of that negativity from entering the marketplace. And I think that's what we all genuinely want at the end of the day as far as sex work existing in America. We want it to be in such a way that it's beneficial to the workers, safe for everybody involved, regulated so that we know who is participating in the system is doing so of their own choice and volition, and making it as such so that ladies can succeed as businesswomen. You would think that's Why what, we, we, want what that we would want society. as like a society. Since Dennis Hoff is dead, are you going to run in his place? Oh, gosh, no. It would be a lot of fun, but politics is far too busy or far too dirty of an industry for me, I Which think. Which is so funny that I you just, say politics you're speaking is dirty. About it, I'm like, yeah. vote for Alice Little. Like, seriously. Alice Little 2020. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> I, I never wanted to be involved in politics. I just wanted to be a legal sex worker. And politics. It is... <laughs> 
It's <laughs> it's it's only by occurrence of the fact that these legal issues are starting to come up and these questions are being asked that I've really seen myself having and needing to get involved as an advocate for my industry. Because at the end of the day, as a legal sex worker, nobody knows legal sex work better than I do. No brothel yep. owner, no cashier, no staff member. Nobody no old white dude ever understand this industry like the ladies that are within it. If you listen to the sex workers and hear what we are saying, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And within that wisdom, I think that we can create a better system, not just for Nevada, but a great model that we could potentially take elsewhere into other neighboring states. Going back just a minute to some of the stuff you were talking about before, um, I know that one of the other services that you offer is for couples. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, what are some of the things that you see that people are coming in for that they're not getting in their relationships, whether they come in individually or with a couple? Um, because obviously you're really popular. And I'm wondering, like, what are people not getting out there um, that you're helping provide? So I, too, actually had this question. I wanted to know what the reason was that people were coming to see me. And so I decided to do a little bit of field research on my own. Such a scholarly I started slut. to go through emails. Oh, no, I actually started to go through my emails. And I went through the numbers. And number by number, the number one reason why somebody writes into a legal sex worker is that they feel as if they are not being heard or listened to mm. within their personal relationship, within their marriage, in the case of couples. They don't feel like they're understood by women in general in the dating world. There generally is some lack of being understood as the main reason why people come to see a sex worker. And I think that's kind of interesting. The fact that people just want to be listened to and understood is the main motivating factor. Yeah. It goes to show how important that acceptance really, really is. And when we look at psychology and say, go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, relationships and intimate connections are up there on the needs pyramid for a reason. In order to become mm -hmm. fully self-actualized, we need to have that level of intimacy, acceptance, and support. Mm -hmm. Without that, we're not able to become the best versions of ourselves. If we acknowledge in psychology that this is a, a literal need, like all capital letters, need, it seems so silly that we make such a big fuss when that need is being fulfilled. I feel yeah. like just in listening to you, I know why you're probably the most popular like person at the bunny ranch or just like in the in the country um but what do you feel like sets you apart and makes people want to come see you so one of the things that i think makes me a little bit different is that i never set out for financial success in this industry i set out to have a deeper understanding about people in general. I wanted to understand their motivations and their feelings, how we connect to each other and how we can better communicate. What are we as a country failing at when it comes to intimacy and how can we go about doing that better? Whenever mm -hmm. I'm at work, that's what's on my mind. I'm interested in learning from the folks around me, my clients, my coworkers, and just having that deeper understanding of what it is that I am doing 
that I think has kind of led me to so much success. The fact that I'm cognitively processing what it means to be a sex worker, I think leads to a deeper level of understanding and appreciation for the profession. I am a professional sex worker. Some people do this as a way to make a little bit of money or pay off their student loans or put themselves through college. I'm all in. Every single person in my life knows that I am a sex worker. My family knows, my friends know. I don't hold back at all whatsoever. Even in situations where it may set me up to be judged negatively by another, I view mm -hmm. it instead as an opportunity to speak out against sex worker stigma and educate them as to the true value in having a legal system. Wow. What got you interested? Wow. Yeah, when were you, yeah, and how did you kind of, A, what got you interested, and then how were you like, okay, I'm going to do it? So prior to being a legal sex worker, I was actually in the sex industry as an educator and BDSM expert. At that point in time, I was traveling around the country, presenting at well over 50 events each year, talking about BDSM skills, consent, better communication, relationship development, things of that nature that in many ways kind of pre-prepped me for this career. It was through my work as a sex edu educator, I came across another woman who had happened to work at the Bunny Ranch. She spoke very highly about it and invited me out to give it a try. So I pulled up the website, thought about it, and I applied online that same afternoon. From start to finish, upon hearing about the Bunny Ranch and then actually arriving at the brothel location was five days. I seriously made the decision just that quickly. I was like, hey, this sounds like a great wow. opportunity. I'm going to go out there for two weeks. You figure I've got nothing to lose. If it's not for me, I can say no at any point in time, turn around and go home. So what's the harm in trying something new? So I kind of weighed the risks and the potential benefits and was like, you know what? Let's do this. So I, I jumped into it. And within that first two weeks, I think it was my second day working after arriving, because it takes several days for all the paperwork to get processed, that I decided this is what I wanted to do for my career. I pretty much changed my entire life aspirations around my newfound interest of legal sex work. I moved out two months later, brought my cats out here, got a place, and this is where I've been ever since. Wow, that's awesome. What was your first mm -hmm. client? Oh, gosh. Who, they were just the so wonderful. Oh, my gosh. It was a, a girlfriend experience, and I was very, very nervous. One thing to keep in mind is that when a new lady arrives, she's actually partnered with a more experienced lady to kind of big sister and mentor her, making sure she understands how to do the negotiation, how to do the uh, the DC or dick check before the party to ensure that there's no visible signs of sores or bumps, anything that looks suspicious, and kind of make sure that we understand, you know, getting the bed set up, where to put the linens afterwards, things of that nature to give us the best chance at success. And they stay with you so in was, the room? I was nervous. They don't. They don't. They do leave the room after the negotiation takes place. They don't sit there in the room while we have sex or anything. That costs extra. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Understandable. It's, it's a joke. You, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 
very common thing, in fact, that many people will find themselves in the negotiation room, find out that, you know, the lady they happen to choose out of that lineup is new. And oftentimes they'll even choose to turn it into a two girl encounter and book both ladies for that session, which is really fun. That's another one of the services I offer. We do offer multiple lady experiences, anywhere from two ladies to 20 ladies, if you so desire. That's 20? definitely possible. How many? What's the most you've done? Oh, God. Um, I was once a part of a longer experience. The gentleman was staying with us on the property. And over the week that he was there, I want to say that he spent time with, God, I want to say it was... 43 or 44 different ladies in various combinations, some by themselves, some as a group, some as a different group, just different scenarios while he stayed with us. But that was pretty incredible. Like, sounds like a fun story to go home with. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. He definitely decided to live it up. (laughs) That sounds amazing. Oh, I'm just like, your life sounds so great. It does sound really good. (laughs) It really does. And that's one of the reasons why it's so offensive when people be like, no, you're forced and coerced and you're sex trafficked. Are, I'm like, have you allowed- met my miniature pig? My life's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> have you met my two horses? They live at the bunny ranch. Like I have a chubby pony and a brand new baby horse that is just as adorable as can be. Like I am not living a suffered life at that's all. That's incredible. I Are you allowed? love my life. I mean, yeah, I would fucking love your life too. Um, Instead, I'm a law student. (laughs) Um, I'm really curious. uh, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, but like how much does this cost? Like how much does it cost for a guy to like stay at the bunny ranch and like have sex with 43 women? Or like like, how does it work? How do you determine like what the costs are going to be? Is there like a menu of services? And it's like, okay, a blowjob is, you know, $200, but penetration is like 250. Like how does that work? Oh, nothing even close to that at all. So the way that I typically do my experiences are by the experience. We legally can't talk about prices anywhere else except the physical Bunny Ranch property. What the guests generally do when they set up an appointment is they will leave a 10% deposit of what their expected budget is to kind of give me an idea of what they have in mind. And then through our email, I get an idea of what kind of activities interest them most. Then when we arrive at the property, we have a conversation, figure out all those specific details. Then we head over to the booking office where they sort all the financials out and take, you know, the details for us. How the pricing is kind of figured out, it's a combination of what we are going to do together and how long we are going to spend together. So to kind of break that down a little bit, If somebody wants to spend, say, a couple of hours with me in my suite, relaxing, enjoy a massage, go through a nice bubble bath together, cuddle up, maybe watch some Netflix, something like that is going to be priced far different than, say, a two-day getaway to Las Vegas where we're going to shows and dinner and having all of this. So that obviously would be a, a much more expensive experience. Generally speaking, experiences start in the four figures and go anywhere up from there. The sky really is the limit. We have said, had sorry, a sorry, lottery. Sorry. They start at four figures? Like in the yes. thousands. Holy yes. shit! Fuck law school! <laughs> right? Well, the way you figure it is that 
legal sex workers wear the hats of many, many, many different professionals. Yeah, business person, therapist, mm-hmm. girlfriend, lover. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are a lot of different things. Relationship coach. Yeah. And I wasn't saying fuck law school as in like, oh, that sounds so easy. I could do it. I'm, it's just, I, I think that obviously like you get paid that much because you are like fucking phenomenal at your job. And I recognize that it's like hard work. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, we actually, there are folks from many different professions that do legal sex work as a side career to kind of fuel their passion projects. For example, we have teachers that will work over the summer months. So this way they can afford to all the expensive stuff that they need for their classrooms because they work in very underprivileged school districts and their kids don't get breakfast in the morning. So they take some of the leftover income from the summer to make sure that they're able to afford the things that they need. We have one lady who comes in. She's a single mother. She works one week every other month, and that's it. During that one week, she has all of her appointments set up. She has everything situated in such a way that the other two months, she's able to be with her kid and do homeschooling. It's really incredible what we're able to make happen for people as a result of this. For me, it's completely changed my life. It looks like being able to invest in real estate and doing this job because I choose to do so, not because I financially need to do so. In case anybody needed more proof that I'm not being forced or trafficked, I could choose not to go to work and I still go to work every day because I love my career and I love the profession. What happens if there is someone who maybe is struggling? I mean, it sounds like you are really responsible for yourself and have really informed yourself and are doing awesome in this profession. Like what happens if a new person, a new girl comes in and maybe she is struggling, not that, not that she's coming in without her own volition or whatever, but just if she is struggling, um, what happens? So much like in any other sales type profession, if someone is struggling to kind of meet their goals they're going to be assisted. They're going to be offered sales books, training. Somebody's going to sit down with them and actually be like, hey, let's take a look at what you're doing. Let's see what you need to do better. And then we'll kind of come up with a plan together to make sure that you do have the kind of success that you want. It's a very common myth that the only people who are successful in legal sex work are quote unquote pretty or conventionally attractive. And I can say that the lady who was previously behind me in sales for the year was a older woman who was in her mid 50s who had several children that was no one's expected standard of traditionally pretty but she found an incredible amount of success because this isn't about looks this isn't about sex it's about who we are as people and how we can help other people that's that's really Mm. what the essence of the job is So I think that with hard work, pretty much anybody could be successful in the legal sex work world so long as they're willing to put in the time, the dedication, and the hard work necessary. Like I work anywhere from 80 to 110 hours each week. I've got my own podcast, YouTube show. I handle my emails. I handle all my social media and social media correspondence. I do all sorts of different interviews. Lately, I've been going to these community education events on top of everything else. And then I still do the job itself. 
So there's quite a lot. Oh, I also maintain a blog and I have a column with She Knows Media now as well. So I've been writing articles for them for several months now. Oh, and then there's also the Bunny Ranch blog. And then we have the Bunny Ranch live stream show. And your animals. So it all. Oh, and photo shoots as well. This is before we even get into like hobbies and animal care and all the things that I like to do. We're still just on like the hundred hours of extraneous other stuff that I do that people don't think goes into this job. Like I probably spend five hours each week at the gym staying in shape. I need to be strong for my job. I want to keep myself in good physical condition so I'm healthy. That's really important to me. And so it's something that I choose to invest my time in. Those little decisions end up all adding up. And that's what makes me, I think, different from perhaps my peers in the sense that I do all of those things. I wear all of the hats. I don't mind working hard because for me, the reward is getting to spend time with my guests. That's, That's impressive. That's really why I do all the social media and everything else. At, at the end of the day, people are like, oh, well, isn't it tiring to work with clients? God, no. That's my reward. That's what I enjoy doing. You know what I hate? I hate social media. I absolutely hate Instagram. I'm pretty sure that it's the devil. <laughs> like, I have Same. no <laughs> desire to be on social media, but... Being realistic, it gives me an opportunity to connect with people. So I put up with the stuff I don't like to get to the parts that I do enjoy. Same. I you were talking about your Instagram's great. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> oh, I'll have to check, I'll have to stalk you later, um, even more. Um, thinking of body types and things that you were talking about earlier, um, I know that you list your height in your bio and on your website. Um, what feels important about listing that to you? Like, do you feel like people are attracted to um, you being four foot eight? And like, how does that intersect with your sexuality? So uh, being petite is just a character trait. The reason why I list it is to kind of let people know, just so you are aware, I am shorter than the average individual. One of my best friends, her name is Tiara, and she's six feet tall. She is the tallest lady that we currently have at the Bunny Ranch. She too chooses to list her height on her bio so people understand, hey, I'm going to be a little bit higher than taller than average. More so, it's just a courtesy to clients so people realize, because there's not oftentimes height perspective in photos, to let people realize, hey, I'm actually very petite. I'm perfectly proportioned. I don't have any form of dwarfism or anything. I'm just really, really tiny. And so it's something I call out, and it is a fun fact that I am the shortest legal sex worker in the industry. It's just kind of like a a fun little thing that I like to throw in there. Do you think it's also fetishized? Not, Not really. Most of my requests don't even mention anything to do with my height. It's very commonly assumed that I must be successful because I'm petite and that men must have some sort of desire towards the fact that I am so little and the reality of the situation is that I think but, men probably covet me more for my intelligence than they do for my height or my body. They're much more interested in who I am than what I look like. I, I mean, that makes sense. Just talking to you, that really, that 100% comes across. Definitely. Gosh, like uh, three years ago, for example, I owned one pair of high heels and maybe a single palette of eyeshadow that I never wore. Like, I... I'm not naturally a Glamazon Barbie doll. 
And so I don't pretend to be a Glamazon Barbie doll because that's just not who I am. Oh my I God, instead same. wear on first dates, I like won't wear makeup. <laughs> See, like I've gotten better at my makeup skills. My peers are ridiculously talented. Some of them are literally makeup artists. They're they're God, they're so talented. I'm so envious. But a lot of them <laughs> have taught me a lot of tips and tricks. And so I do feel comfortable wearing makeup now. And I do feel comfortable walking in heels. And yes, there literally was that moment where I had three legal sex workers all teaching me how to wear, walk in high heels appropriately. It's fucking because hard. I was very clumsy. <laughs> and I still that don't really so wear funny. high heels. I, I still wear flats. I'm, yeah, I don't I'm really wear four heels foot that eight. Much. They don't usually make women's heels in a child size four. And so my options are pretty limited to whatever I can import from Asia. So there's there's not a lot of high heels out there for me anyway. And you figure, <laughs> hey, I'm tiny. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I don't mind wearing flats. It sounds like it affects the work that you do in terms of like clothes that you need to buy or have to buy. Does it affect your work in any other way? Mm, it definitely does in the sense of needing to buy, say, quote-unquote, work outfits. Prior to this career, I didn't have a whole bunch of dresses. And so I have found a wonderful tailor, thank God, because when you're four foot eight, nothing fits you the right way. Mm. They tend to make jeans for people like Tiara, not people that are my size. And so I always joke that I'm just going to cut the bottoms off my jeans and we'll just sew the bottoms onto her jeans and it'll be perfect. We'll each have jeans that actually fit us the right way. <laughs> awesome. Ha! Um, so you've mentioned a lot the dynamics in the house of like supporting each other, but you've also mentioned kind of this like lineup and sure you're available by appointment only. So you kind of know how your schedule is going to look and what sort of income you're going to be making. But I am curious if there are any sort of, uh, if there's any kind of negative interaction, if there's any kind of, or not even necessarily negative, but what the competition feels like, mm, if at all. I don't necessarily know that there is competition because you figure every single one of us is so unique that you can't really compare any one woman to another woman. For example, mm. there is another redhead that now works at the Bunny Ranch named Ruby Ray. She's a good friend of mine. She's an MA student, so she's also very well educated. But we're completely different individuals. She's a little bit more introverted and shy. I'm a little bit more outgoing and bubbly. When you look at our hobbies and interests, they're completely different. I'm much more likely to want to go out for a hike or go explore Virginia City than she might want to perhaps go to a nice, soft, quiet dinner and then maybe go enjoy a bubble bath with the client afterwards. We're different mm. enough that no one would ever confuse Alice for Ruby. And that's just one right. example. There's a, another coworker I, I have, Ava Carter. She is half Korean and she markets herself as the Bunny Ranch's Hapatoki, which pretty much is half Korean bunny in Korean. It's huh. awesome because you would never confuse Ava Carter, who sings K-pop and does these adorable music videos, with Kite Kawasaki, who is ja a Japanese porn star and dresses as a geisha and offers geisha experiences. Like, I definitely don't offer that. You would never compare or contrast the two of us to each other. And so it's really unique in that the Bunny Ranch gives everyone an ability to be showcased for what makes them special and unique. It's not what is similar about us that makes us special. 
What makes us all special is what makes us so different. The fact that Tiara is six foot tall. The fact that Angelina is from Europe and has an accent. The fact that we have ladies that are fluent in Spanish. We have all of these different things so we can give opportunities to so many different types of people and women. It's it's awesome. It's like a giant mixing pot. That's amazing. That's awesome. Well, we want people to be able to... Um to follow you, to hire you, whether that be for for services or to come speak. Um, how can people get in touch with you so they can learn more about what you're doing? Because it all sounds really fucking amazing. It, uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. So I always, always welcome people to email me. My email is alicelittle at bunnyranch.com. And when I say I'm an open book, I truly mean it. I genuinely want to start solving some of the stigma surrounding sex work in this country. And so my inbox Mm. is open to any and all questions. For those looking to spend time with me professionally, same thing. That's going to be the best way to reach out. And I am available for speaking, presenting, consulting, all through that same email address. I also maintain my own website and blog, which you can find at www.com thealicelittle.com and the Alice Little is also my handle on Instagram and Twitter both. Your favorite, Instagram. Oh yes, Instagram. Oh, I love Instagram. Well, I do think social media (laughs) is the devil. I do see that it has value and I do use it quite often to post, share different inspirational quotes, ideas that I may have and kind of give an inside look into my crazy life. Like, my Instagram story is pretty much just all adorable videos of my animals. So if you like watching miniature pigs eat apples and two chihuahuas being adorable in the backseat of my car, definitely follow me on there. Oh, I'll be following you. Like, if you're looking for, like, sexy butt chicken videos, probably not the right spot for that. I've always just been myself on social media. And so... No, not so much. Not so much. I'm more likely to share photos of the book I'm reading than anything like that. I love that. (laughs) And is there anything that listeners can do to help with what's going on in Nevada right now with these legislations? So right now at the county level, the vote is limited to residents of Lyon County. What you can do is interact with me on social media. I do tweet very frequently about this particular issue. And so by commenting with your support, you make that tweet much more likely to show up for residents. So the more that people comment on something, the more helpful it is as far as getting the message out there. Additionally, as we come closer to this upcoming potential fight for state-level legalization, we're going to likely be getting an organization set up. I'm still sorting out the legal details right now with the team, but it looks like we are going to be starting a Nevada brothel association in order to protect the continued legalization of the industry. Once that's formed, people will have an opportunity to donate to that organization to assist us with the very real research and lobbying that this effort is going to require. I I can tell you just with the the Lyon County Freedom effort that I've been involved with, uh, you can find that information at uh, saveourbrothels.com. 
I've personally spent quite a few thousand dollars out of my own pocket between lawn signs, mailers, reaching out just so the message can be heard. I had a documentarian come out and we put together this beautiful video kind of explaining the issue in more detail. I watched it on your Facebook. All of those. Oh, thank you. I, I about cried when that came together. It just was so beautiful. Oh, goodness. It was awesome. It was really well done. The bigger way that people can help is to push back against sex worker stigma. Talk about us. Refer to us by the words that we want to be referred as. We're not whores or sluts or anything. We're legal sex workers. Recognize us for the very real profession that we have. And don't disrespect us by calling us awful, hateful names. We deserve society's respect. And if you come across somebody that's being less than respectful when referring to sex workers, use this as an opportunity to educate and be like, hey, I heard this podcast, Lots and Scholars, and they had the sex worker, Alice Little. And she said that sex workers don't like to be called whores. They prefer to be called sex workers. Are you comfortable changing your language and your vernacular now that you know what's preferred? Use it as a teaching moment. And I think that's how we're going to see real and tangible change and a shift in the attitudes towards how sex workers are treated in America. It all starts at that step-by-step level on that individual moment where we get to actually share our thoughts with somebody and make them perhaps question why they are choosing to use the language that they are. Yeah, I think you brought up a really interesting point, which is um, like the words that we use and how we talk about sex workers and like, the the point that I would just love to like reemphasize for our listeners is like, and then I think this applies to sex workers, but also to just like people across the board. I think it applies to um, people's pronouns that they're asking you to use. It's just call people what they want to be called. So Alice Little, the sex worker, does not want you to call her a whore. So just don't do it. Uh, there are some sex workers that do refer to themselves as whores, and maybe they don't want other people to use it. It's just about finding out what that person wants and respecting it. Agreed. Seconded. Absolutely so. Um, I came across something on Facebook that I think really summarized it well, especially when it comes to preferred pronouns. And they said, if you can handle calling Pikachu Raichu once it evolves, there is zero excuse for not calling somebody (laughs) by their preferred pronoun. Awesome. Zero excuse. And you. Like, if you can handle calling a fake character from anime by its correct title, I think we can handle doing the same elsewise in society, right? Yeah, Yeah. that is a good fucking question. I mean, that's a good point. Well, for the most part, we like to be called sluts or and or scholars. Um, and if Go you'd like to see what we're doing, you can follow us on Instagram at sluts and scholars, on Twitter at sluts scholars, or you can email us at sluts and scholars at gmail.com. Thank you. And of course, if you love this episode, make sure to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 